I'm the most powerful wizard. This is the Elder Wand. This is the Death Stick. This is my schlong. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Slither Claw Review. I'm Madison. And I'm Daya, and today we are doing Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, chapters 17 through 24. Moving right along with our last book. But of course, before we dive into our content, we are going to start with our character and the spell of the episode. You want to go ahead and start us off? Yes, ma'am. Our character of the episode is Gellert Grindelwald. First mentioned in Sorcerer's Stone, he is a male wizard with golden hair and described as handsome, because Harry describes everyone as handsome. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to Durmstrang, and his wand is the Elder Wand. His related families are the Bagshot family, and his skills and achievements include stealing the Elder Wand, divination, manipulation, Ooh. which is a fun one, and, this is the best one, instituting a reign of terror in Central Europe. Oh my god. <laughs> a magic fact <laughs> about him is that Grindelwald shows people his visions with the help of a skull hookah. A hookah? Oh, is that, is it hookah? Yeah, like, can you smoke? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Magic fact. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's an interesting characterization, like, the original characterization of him, because if you watch Fantastic Beasts, like, that's not at all what he he looks like in anything. Like, he, they give him, like, silver white hair. Yeah, the Johnny Depp version had, like, the two different eye colors. Yeah, he looks... Freaky. Yeah, definitely weird. But maybe it's like younger him. Do they describe him as an older guy? I don't really know, other Neither than either. the description of him as a boy in the picture and then of him in the cell, which we'll see yeah. later in the episode. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't know. Yeah. So, not sure. Um, the spell of the episode is Deeprimo, or Deeprimo. Not sure. Um, it is used to blast holes downward. In Latin, um, this word means dig deep. So, you know, it works. Fair enough. And the magic moment for the spell is that in Deathly Hallows, Hermione uses it to blast a hole through the floor of Xenophilius Lovegood's house, allowing her, Ron, and Harry to escape after Lovegood had tried to turn them over to Death Eaters. So yeah. if I pointed it upwards and did it, it would do nothing. Mm, it's got to be right. downwards. It says to blast holes downward, so... It's such a specific spell, because, like, could you not also just bombarda and make a hole? Like, it's funny to me that there's a specific spell for casting downwards. Well, maybe it's more to, like, make a specific hole. Maybe if you use bombarda, you're just gonna, like, blast the shit oh, out of so something. Oh, so we're imagining this, you do it, and then, poof, the floor disappears, and you just, <laughs> I mean, that would be funny. Like, the cartoon, like, be... you, like, run in place a little bit before you fall down. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Alright, I'm doing... That's canon now. That's that's what the that's spell canon. does. That's exactly. canon. It, it actually makes a perfect circle. <laughs> With a circumference of 27. Yeah. Okay, so starting off with chapter 17... Harry and Hermione are on their way out of the graveyard. Hermione says someone's watching them, which unnerves both of them, obviously. So. Uh, but they look like muggles, so they're kind of like, okay, maybe they don't know it's us. So they kind of hurry out and get under the invisibility cloak. And then as they're walking through the town, Harry spots his family's now wrecked cottage covered with overgrown vines, which, what a, like, hard thing to, to see. see. Like, difficult to process, I guess. I know. I think, like, yeah, just seeing the house where your parents died is already tough, but the fact that it's still in ruins mm-hmm. is like, yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, so Harry rests his hand on the gate, which causes a small wooden sign to rise from the ground, pretty much saying, this house belonged to the Potters, it is invisible to muggles, and it is left in its ruined state as a monument to the Potters. And people have left little notes in the wooden sign, which Harry actually appreciates, just kind of like supportive words for him, like, wherever you are, good luck, or we yeah. support you. It is kind of funny that people come see this and they're like, yeah, let's graffiti it. Yeah, let's gra- <laughs> well, that is normal, I guess. That, that makes sense. So now a hobbling old woman approaches the cottage, and she seems to be able to see it, and the duo deduce that she is, in fact, a witch. Really great thinking there, guys. Um, Although they are under the invisibility cloak, this witch somehow knows they're there and beckons them to follow, which should have been red flag number one. already just bad vibes. And so Harry asks if she's Bethilda, to which the witch simply nods, and that's enough for them to follow, and she leads them to an abandoned-looking cottage, 
Harry notes that either she or the house stinks, which if you don't know what happens next, it's just downright cold. <laughs> She's like, dang, dang, this old woman stinks. Like, obviously, like, we know what the smell is after you read it. But right now you're like, dang, your hair kind of sucks. Yeah, that's mean. Kinda mean. So Hermione's understandably freaked out about the situation, but Harry's like, it's fine. Plus, she's a small old lady. I could definitely take her. <laughs> like, he literally says that he could take her. Are you trying to fist fight this old woman? I would like to see that. Just Harry trying to, like, literally no wands. Like, right he, didn't even, he didn't say anything about his wand. He literally said, she's small. I could take her. What? The muggle way, man. Yeah. Fist fight. So, Mathilda finally says something, and she just yells, come. Like, not like any, like, just like, come in. Like, wanting them to follow. Like, damn, girl, okay. Demanding. Calm down. So, Harry helps Mathilda light candles and ends up finding old photographs, one of which contains the golden-haired thief from Grigorovich's window, which Harry now realizes is the same boy from Reader Skeeter's book about Dumbledore. He ends up stealing this pic, because why not? Sure. Cup, though. Yeah, and this whole time, the Horcrux is also doing this weird little beating on his heart. Uh, red flag number two. Uh, doesn't only really do that, so maybe we should be like, oh my god, what's happening? Yeah, but Harry's just like, oh, it's because... It knows that it's about to be destroyed. It's like, all right, maybe think about it for, like, maybe more than two seconds. Yeah. Maybe. So Harry tries to ask her um, who the boy is repeatedly, but Bethilda just blankly stares at him and doesn't respond. Like Red flag number three. Yeah, the lights are on. No one's home. So she ends up gesturing that she wants to go with Harry upstairs alone, and Harry agrees, thinking that maybe Dumbledore told her to give only the sword to him. He's so stupid. He's reaching. He's, He's so reaching. Stupid. So once in an upstairs bedroom, Bathilda closes the door and Harry quickly uses Lumos to illuminate the pitch black and Bathilda asks, you are Potter? To which Harry says yes. And now the Horcrux is beating rapidly. This really starts to unnerve Harry. So like Harry, come on. Uh, Harry. None of this seems weird to you. Dude, come on. Let's be so for real here. So at this point, Harry's scar starts hurting and he flashes into Voldemort's mind before quickly returning to his. But he doesn't really have time to process that yet because Bathilda tells him over here and beckons to the corner of the room. So in the second that he looks away to the corner, Bathilda's body collapses, and a giant snake emerges from where her neck was. Um, Terrifying. Nightmare fuel. So Harry tries to raise his wand to defend himself, but the snake bites him on the forearm, sending his wand flying. And then, this is Nagini, so the snake. But Nagini wraps herself around Harry and starts squeezing as Harry struggles to get away. His mind now is, like, flashing over to Voldemort, who is tri- flying triumphantly before snapping back to his present situation. And at this point, Hermione bursts in because something's happening upstairs. And she helps attack the snake, allowing Harry to get up and get his wand. He then warns her, like, he is coming. Like, he has seen Voldemort's mind. Voldemort is on his way. Mm-hmm. So they try throwing spells that ricochet around the room, and Harry grabs Hermione They jump out of the smashed window into nothingness, and now he's seeing a flash from Voldemort's POV, and he feels his rage as he watches, like, like an out-of-body experience, I guess. He watches the two, the muggle couple that they're disguised as, like, jump out of this window and then disapparate. This whole scene was so confusing. I was reading it, and I was like, oh my god, there's so much happening right now. Yeah, there was a lot happening. So, Harry is then thrust into a vision of Halloween. So now... We've seen from Voldemort's point of view them jumping out the window, but now Voldemort's mind is going back in time, like to a memory. So Voldemort is walking past children in costumes and window decorations to reach the Potter home. And he considers killing a kid just because he told him, oh, nice costume. And he's like, I could kill him. And then he's like, "Mm, unnecessary. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. So Voldemort sees through the window as James Potter does little tricks to impress a baby Harry before getting up and handing him to Lily. And throwing his wand on the couch. (laughs) Yeah, just throwing his wand on the couch. So now Voldemort blasts open the front door and is first met by James. James yells for Lily to take Harry and go, and he'll hold him off. But he's instantly killed with Vada Kedavra, and Voldemort moves up the stairs. And in Voldemort's, like, inner monologue, he's like, hold me off. You don't have a freaking wand. (laughs) Left it on the couch. So Lily begs for Harry's life and uses her body to shield his, but Voldemort tells her to stand aside multiple times. Now, why would he give her multiple chances to stand aside? Why not just kill her? Interesting. Interesting. So Voldemort grows tired of this and kills Lily too, turning finally to kill Harry. But when he releases the curse, he feels nothing but pain and terror in an instant. And then Voldemort breaks from this memory back to the room that he has just missed Harry and Hermione, and then finds the picture that Harry had dropped, 
which is the picture of the thief that he has been seeking. Great job, Harry. Really good. So Harry awakens from this vision in bed in the tent, and it has been several hours now. Hermione had to use a hover charm to get him there, and she says that he's been super ill, she's been tending to him and a snake bite, and she says the horcrux was, like, stuck to his chest, like, burned into his chest, and she had to use a severing charm to remove it. And then Harry tells Hermione that the snake was Bathilda all along, and she wouldn't talk in front of her because she was using partial tongue, and he just didn't realize. Which... We've had this issue before, and I feel like you should now be able to know the difference between partial tongue and English. I know. Harry, it's been seven years. Maybe let's hone in on this skill yes. that you know you have, and you know it could be useful. Practice it, maybe? I don't maybe. know. Research it a little bit? I don't know. So, apparently, Nagini was just supposed to keep him there until Voldemort arrived, not kill him, which makes a lot of sense, because if she wanted to kill him, he definitely would have been dead. Yeah. So Harry asks Hermione for his wand, but it's really badly damaged and even Reparo doesn't, or Reparo doesn't fully repair it, so he has to use Hermione's while he keeps watch and Hermione thinks that it's from her spell ricocheting and hitting the wand, which is really unfortunate because she feels really guilty. Yeah, no, I would feel so bad, especially because, like, we know that, like, broken wands, like, bronze in second year, like, it doesn't really... You can't ever fully fix it, really. Exactly. So yeah, that's really rough for Harry. So, chapter 18. The next morning, Harry is still very upset. Um, he's mostly, like, despairing about the loss of his wand because he knows that how special it is because of all the things that it's done to protect him, like the gold thing that it did earlier and stuff. Um, so he puts the two pieces of it in his little moleskin pouch that Haggard gave him, and then he brushes past the golden snitch in it. And he kind of starts getting this rage at Dumbledore for not telling him everything. Period. Or really not telling him anything. Period. Which As is, he should. Yeah, very valid. I get that. Hermione comes in with a cup of tea and then also Rita Skeeter's book, uh, The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore, that she found in Bathilda's house and took. So they're both kleptos. <laughs> yeah. But at least Hermione actually made it out with what she stole. Like, Harry sucked at being a thief. He dropped it. Yep. Um, so in the book... They're reading it, and Harry finally discovers that this handsome young thief that he's been obsessing over um, is Gellert Grindelwald, and he is the dark wizard that Dumbledore um, like famously defeated many years later. So Harry and Hermione are very intrigued and kind of horrified by this because it's Dumbledore and like a dark wizard, so they're like, what is going on? So they start reading, and they read specifically a chapter called The Greater, the Greater Good, and so Skeeter's book, um, like, kind of refreshes that his life post-Hogwarts, he had to cancel his traveling trip around the world to take over his younger brother and sister. And she recounts that that summer, um, she got all this information from Bathilda Backshot, who she she admits to using Veritaserum on her to get this. Mm-hmm. Is that legal? Like, I don't think so. That's crazy that she just outright is like, yep, I... I use truth serum and then at the beginning there was a note that's like you did tell me all of this even if you don't remember it so she implying she also obliviated her afterwards like this was just crazy from rita that she like did all this yeah but dumbledore apparently fell into a close relationship with grindelwald who at the time was a very brilliant but troublesome young man who was expelled from durmstrang school of magic and was visiting his aunt bathilda in godric's hollow so they basically became besties, like, overnight, and they spend all their days in, like, very deep discussions. And Skeeter reveals that a lot of this discussion was about how wizard and kind are superior to muggles and how they should rule over them for the greater good. Which is shocking, because this is doesn't sound like the muggle-loving Dumbledore that we know as of right now. However, this, like, honeymoon period between the two of them doesn't last, and Grindelwald ends up fleeing their friendship and the country after Dumbledore's sister Ariana dies in the mysterious circumstances. Sketchy. Very sketchy. The cause of death is unknown, but Skeeter, like, not so subtly implies that Dumbledore and Grindelwald were somehow to blame, and she cites the her proof as a fight between Dumbledore and his brother Aberforth at Ariana's funeral, which is where Aberforth broke Dumbledore's nose. And he didn't fix it. And he didn't fix it. He left it broken. So Skeeter then hints that Grindelwald and Dumbledore might have been up to no good and that poor Ariana was perhaps the first victim to fall for the greater good, which, oof, a line. So Harry and Hermione are obviously like very taken aback by this. They're like, should we doubt like everything we've ever thought about Dumbledore? 
Um, Hermione comments that for the greater good is eventually became Grindelwald's motto when he was attempting to take over the wizarding world, which is, you know, something he got from Dumbledore. Um, but Hermione stays, like, faithful to Dumbledore. She tells him that, you know, he really did love Harry. She's kind of defending him. But Harry has kind of lost faith in Dumbledore. Um, he, they get into a huge fight because he does not think anymore that Dumbledore really cared for him. What a, Woo! what a fight. For her to be like, but he loved you, and him be like, did, did he? he though? Did he? Which I think is also totally, I get where Hermione's coming from, um, but I also get where Harry's coming from. This is a lot to learn about someone that you looked up to as a mentor. Yeah. I think a lot of what Hermione is trying to do as well is hold the pieces of Harry's world together, because Harry, I, Harry's world is falling apart. Yeah. Everything that he believed and trusted is falling apart, and I feel like Hermione's just trying that last-ditch effort to kind of like keep him from breaking and I think that he needs someone like that so yeah I agree shout out Hermione yeah so chapter 19 Harry sleeps restlessly and eventually he and Hermione decide to just pack up and head out early she was also feeling uneasy about their camp they felt like maybe someone was nearby or something was going on so Hermione operates them to the forest of Dean which she knows from a camping trip with her parents and Harry's keeping watch But he says that tonight feels different. He's still on the edge from the near escape from Voldemort. And then seemingly out of nowhere, a silver doe Patronus approaches the campsite, startling Harry. They stare at each other for a moment before the doe turns and starts walking away. And Harry only hesitates for a moment before chasing after it. Because we didn't didn't learn from the freaking house with Bathilda just now that maybe Harry shouldn't go off and follow things alone. Bloody Gryffindors, bro. Yeah. So when he finally catches up to the doe, she disappears and Harry is left in the darkness until he uses Lumos to light the forest. And after examining the area, he sees a frozen pool of water. And at the bottom of this frozen pool lies the Sword of Gryffindor. Crazy. Crazy. So he decides the only way to retrieve it is to strip and jump in since Accio did not work. But remember, it is literally freezing cold. Like, it is frozen. So Harry dives down and grabs the sword, but as he's on his way back up, the horcrux tightens around his neck, suffocating him under the water. He ends up kind of losing consciousness and reawakens when he's pulled out of the water and onto the snow by Ron. What? Who had broken the horcrux from around his neck, like tore it off and pulled him and the sword out. Apparently Ron had also seen the doe and thought it was Harry casting it. He's like, dude, mine's a stag. He's like, oh yeah. No antlers. Forgot about that. Forgot about that, yeah. So neither of them actually know who this Patronus belonged to, but they're both sure that whoever it was is the one who placed the sword in the pool. Wow. Great deductive reasoning, guys. Who would have guessed? Yeah. So they decide they're going to destroy the locket now, and Ron starts to give the sword to Harry, but Harry declines, saying he thinks it's supposed to be Ron who does it since Ron retrieved it from the pool. Good for Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So Harry says he's going to open the locket. Ron needs to destroy it with the sword. Apparently the encounter with Nagini made Harry realize he can just... O- like, ask the locket to open with parcel tongue Again, had we discovered maybe this skill of yours a little bit more deeply, we would understand how much it can do. Exactly. So upon opening, each side of the locket contains a living, blinking eye resembling that of Tom Riddle before they became scarlet and slit-pupiled. Freaky. A choice, I think. <laughs> Freaky. So the locket starts whispering Ron's fears to him and his fears of being, like, less loved, of being second best, and of Hermione preferring Harry over him. So the locket then, like, procures figures that look like (laughs) Harry and Hermione. Like, they just kind of, like, rise out of it. And they're saying that they were better and happier without him and they laughed at him and whatnot, really just feeding off of Ron's insecurities. And then they start making out, which, if I was standing there, not even, like, this is bad for Ron, right? But me, Harry, I'm sitting there and I'm watching this weird replica of me make out with my other friend. I'm like, what is going on? No, I'd be so confused. Like, I just, this is such a, I don't know, like, it's such a, like, a good defense mechanism, but, like, it's so weird, too. And it, it like, makes you think, like, like, if Harry had been the one to, like, open it, like, what would it be for Harry, you know? But it's a cool defense mechanism. Yeah. So Ron finally builds the strength and the courage to smash the locket and destroy the Horcrux. So Harry tells Ron that he sees Hermione as a sister and believes she feels the same and they were lost without him. 
they end up hugging it out and I appreciate that because I think that we needed a little bit of an emotional connection here because they are best friends they're like brothers so I think that they needed to make up like this I agree so they head back to the tent and Hermione just starts beating the shit out of Ron but like (laughs) not with her full force you know what I mean like because she could definitely hurt him if she wanted to but like that kind of like the beating on his chest type of deal so she's obviously grade A pissed and starts yelling at Ron and Ron tells them as soon as he disapparated, he ran into Snatchers, who are gangs of wizards that earn gold by rounding up Muggleborns and blood traders. Apparently, he got away by telling them that he was Stan Shunpike. So he got his wand back. He went back to the riverbank that they had been camping at. But Hermione and Harry were already gone. So Hermione asks the big question, how did Ron find them? So Ron says on Christmas morning, he heard her voice coming from the deluminator in his pocket, which was apparently like, said his name and then something about a wand, which, if you'll remember, is the conversation Harry and Hermione had about the broken wand. Yeah. So he took out the deluminator, he clicked it, and a light appeared right outside his window. When Ron went outside to follow it, the light flew into his chest, and he just knew it would take him where he needed to go, to Harry and Hermione. And it actually took him to their last campsite, and that was the rustling that they thought they were hearing that was really unnerving to them. So the Deluminator then led him to their current campsite where he saw the Doe and eventually Harry. And after the boys catch Hermione up on what happened with the Horcrux, she decides that's enough talking for the day and heads to bed. So thankfully Ron, you know, kept the spare Snatcher wand. So now Harry has a wand. Thank God. He's pissed about it, but he at least has one. Yeah. So. Have you seen the, like, theory that, like, because the Deluminator, right, is like, the one and only, and it's Dumbledore's invention. Mm-hmm. So clearly this, like, light guiding you is, like, something that was, like, meant to be a part of it. Yeah. So have you, there's, like, this theory that's, like, kind of sad, but it's, like, that Dumbledore, the thing is that the light will guide you to whoever you miss or whoever you need the most. And so Dumbledore created the Deluminator, hoping that it would take him, like, to his family, but his family's all dead, Ariana and his mother and stuff. So that was, like, the one part of the Deluminator that, like, he could never get to work. And he left it with Ron in the hopes that, like, he might be able to... But Aberforth's alive. Yeah, but he really needed his sister. Oh. Or so the theory is, okay. like, it's specific about Ariana. Yeah. I think it's a cool thing that he included in that, too. I know. Like, you would never guess that from... Well, definitely not from the put-outer. Yeah. <laughs> I stand so. by it. That's what it should have been called. But, yeah. It also makes me wonder about, like, the magical theory of it. Like, how did he make that? How does that work? I don't work, know. You know. It's cool that it goes into you because, like, it kind of, I mean, light guides you, whatever. So when it's inside of him and he apparates, it's like he just kind of follows the pull of that light, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. So. I also think it's smart because it's, like, you know, easier. If it was just, like, the dough where it was, like, just follow, like, this bulb of light, it would be a little obvious. So I like that it does that piece of it. But on to chapter 20. The next morning, Hermione is still angry with Ron, rightfully so. Um, and he's obviously, like, very, like, full of remorse, but, um, with, um, Harry, he's, like, very happy, and he's, like, sure that someone else is helping them and that they're on their way to success. He's being very optimistic. Um, Harry then kind of fills in Ron about all that he and Hermione have been up to, and in return, Ron tells Harry some news that Voldemort has somehow jinxed his own name, so anytime that someone says Voldemort out loud, that they can be traced, and this is how they were discovered. Um, at the beginning of the book, which we talked about a bit. Yeah, it's called a taboo. Yeah. So apparently Kingsley Shacklebolt was found out that way too, and he, like, narrowly escaped and is now on the run, which is good to know, because I really like Kingsley. Yeah. Nervous for him. So after this, they kind of start talking about Dumbledore, and Ron's, like, heard all about what Rita Skeeter is saying, um, and he is kind of, like, excusing his relationship with Grindelwald, saying, like, oh, he was a kid, he was really young. But Harry, like pointedly like tells him like well he was our age when this happened and like we would never do something like that so harry kind of really focuses on this point mm-hmm. um then harry decides to try out the snatcher's wand but it doesn't really work for him and hermione tells him that it'll be fine like if he's more confident he's gonna get it but he doesn't really believe her but he just agrees to uh, finish the conversation and then later that night ron pulls out a wireless radio trying to find like a very specific show that he says um tells the truth about what's actually going on which is very smart i think that's something that is good for them to have but he missed the last episode so he's trying to hear um to see what else is like get more updates but hermione um randomly then stops reading the rita skeeter book that she was reading and just says that she wants to go see xenophilius lovegood luna's father who we met at the beginning 
which is a weird announcement for an out of nowhere. Um, but she says that her reasoning is that she found the same mysterious symbol that he was wearing in the book uh, Tales of Beetle the Bard that Dumbledore left him. It was also in Dumbledore's letter to Grindelwald that was in Skeeter's book, and it was on the mysterious headstone that they found in Godric's Hollow. So she's clearly connecting all of this. She's like, it's got to be something. So she wants to go see Xenobelius to get information about it. Ron, who's trying to like get in favor with Hermione, readily agrees to go see him. And Harry doesn't really want to, but he's outvoted, so he gives in. So they go. The Lovegoods are, turns out to be neighbors of the Weasleys, so they disapparate to a location close to the borough. And Ron feels really weird about the fact that he's so close to home, but he's not visiting. And he tells them that he was too ashamed to go home after walking out on Harry and Hermione. So he ended up spending Christmas with Bill and Floor in their new home called Shell Cottage instead. So not too far away from the borough, they find out they find like a cylindrical tower. It's really weird looking. So they're like, this has got to be Luna's house. Like this looks funky. That's the love. Goods. That's definitely it. And there's also a sign out front advertising the Quibbler. So that kind of confirms to them that this mm-hmm. is it. So they knock on the door and a very disheveled Xenophilius Lovegood opens the door and he looks at them suspiciously before realizing that Harry is, you know, Harry. And he lets them in. And the Lovegood home is like, just as crazy as Lunan's and Ophelia's are. It's full of weird, strange creatures, old printing press, and a bunch of copies of the Quibbler. So before they can like start asking him questions, Hermione's and Ophelia's get into like a little petty fight about a horn he has mounted on the wall. And Xenophilius claims that it's the horn of a mythical beast, the Crumplehorn Snorlax, Snorkak. But Hermione knows that it's actually the highly explosive horn of the Arumpet. So that just is funny that even with Luna, mm-hmm. even her dad, Hermione's still just like, no, this is She's a like, thing. No, it's not. But they get down to business and ask, and Xenophilius is very reluctant to help Harry, but Hermione, like, says that, like, oh, well, what would Luna think? Like, what would Luna want you to do? And Xenophilius kind of rushes off awkwardly to go tell her that her friends are here because she's apparently fishing for something called freshwater plimpies in the stream and says that he will help them when he returns. So he goes, he comes back, and he offers them some juice, asking them what they're there for, and Harry asks about the symbol that he was wearing at Bill and Fleur's wedding, and he tells them that that is the sign of the Deathly Hollows. Book title. There we go. <laughs> Roll credits. Which, if you're keeping track, we're, when he says it's about halfway through the book. Yeah. So you've gone through a good portion of content and have not even heard that word yeah, before. Yeah, no clue. Like, if you've race. never read this, you... Why is it called the Deathly Hallows? No clue until yeah. now. So, um, Xenophilius says that the mark is not necessarily dark, but is used as a symbol um, for like one to reveal oneself to other believers in the hope they might help one with the quest. So, obviously, the trio are confused by this cult sales pitch, and like that, <laughs> that's, exactly that's what, what it, what it is. is. That's a good description. So, he elaborates by saying that believers seek the Deathly Hallows. So, then he asks if the trio are familiar with the tales of the three brothers. And Harry isn't, but Ron and Hermione are. So Hermione pulls out her copy of Tales of Beale the Bard, crazy, and begins reading the story. This is where she saw the symbol. Yes. So the story is about three brothers who are traveling and reached a river too dangerous to cross. They used their wands to create a bridge, but as they were crossing, death stood in their path. Death was upset that the three brothers had cheated him of three lives, but pretended to congratulate the three brothers and offered each a prize for being clever enough to evade him. So the oldest brother asked for a wand more powerful than any in existence. Death created this wand from a nearby elder tree and gifted it to him. The second brother asked for the power to bring people back from the dead, and he was gifted a stone that would do so. The youngest brother, who was supposedly humble and wise, did not trust Death's intentions, and he asked for something that would allow him to leave that place and not be followed by Death. So Death handed over his cloak of invisibility. After this, the brothers were allowed to move on with their gifts, eventually separating and following their own life paths. A week or so later, the eldest brother sought out a wizard to duel, and after winning, he boasted loudly of his all-powerful wand gifted to him by death. And that night, another wizard broke into his room, stole the wand, and killed the first brother in his sleep. So now death has claimed the first brother. First brother's an idiot. Literally a dumbass. Literally. Keep that shit to yourself. Also, it's crazy to me that, like, the next guy was able to get ownership of the Elder Wand, just taking it and stabbing him. 
Like, that's just so interesting to me. Like, I remember mm-hmm. when I first heard about the Elder One, I'm like, oh yeah, you have to duel and beat them. But like, no, you do not have to do that. <laughs> no. So the second brother returned to his empty home and used the stone to bring back the girl he had hoped to marry, whom he lost to an untimely death. But she was sad and cold, and although she had returned to the mortal world, she suffered because she did not belong there anymore. So the second brother was driven mad by his longing for her, and he took his own life to join her, and so now death has claimed the second brother. Death searched for the third brother for many years, but was never able to find him. Eventually, when the brother reached a great age, he took off the invisibility cloak to give to his son, and then greeted death as an old friend and went with him gladly. So now Xenophilius tells them that these are the Deathly Hallows. The Elder One is represented by a straight vertical line, the Resurrection Stone is represented by a circle, and the triangle enclosing them represents the Cloak of Invisibility. He says the stories are for children, so they do not call them by the name Deathly Hallows, but the story refers to three objects or hallows, which, if united, will make the person the possessor, like the master of death. So Hermione tries to argue that this can't be real because there are many cloaks of invisibility, but Xenophilius tells them there is only one true cloak that isn't imbued with a charm or a hex to make it work and won't fade over time. So now the trio are thinking, holy shit. That's crazy. We know a cloak like that. So, um, Xenophilius also tells them that the Elder Wand is the easiest to trace since the possessor must capture it from the previous owner to truly be its master. He starts to tell them the tale of many battles and owners, but there is no, like, real known end or path to follow. So now Hermione asks if the tale has anything to do with the Peverell brothers, seemingly out of nowhere, but apparently the grave Hermione had seen in Godric's Hollow, the one carved with the Deathly Hallows mark, belonged to Ignotus Peverell. So now, Xenophilius tells them that the questers believe the story is about the Peverell brothers. Cadmus, Ignotus, and... Antioch. Antioch. That's how you say it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Is. <laughs> I looked at that name, I was like... Whatever. Sure, that is. An A name. Uh-huh. So when Xenophilius leaves the room, the three argue about the validity of the story being fact. Interestingly, when Hermione says it's obvious which hallow you should choose, they all say something different. So Hermione says the cloak, Ron says the wand, and Harry says the stone. Makes a lot of sense if you look into their characters. Harry's lost almost everyone that he loved. So Resurrection Stone. Ron says the wand. He's always got a fear of like not being good enough, not being the best. And Hermione's the practical one. Yeah, Hermione's smart. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Tracks. So Hermione tells them there are many stories of extremely powerful wands throughout history that could be the Elder Wand. And what I think is interesting about the arguments is like, Hermione was left a book that contained this story and this mark. She saw this mark on a grave in Godric's Hollow. It's kind of led them... There's so many things connecting it, and she will not. She refuses to give it any validity. Yeah. Which I think... I feel like it can make sense for her character. She's very much like... Like you said, like she's practical. She needs evidence. She needs proof. Mm -hmm. So I understand her doubtfulness to believe it's true, but it is kind of shocking. It's like, girl, you don't think it's... A little bit, A, not only the connecting thing like you said, but, like, Harry's invisibility cloak. Like, Mm -hmm. girl, come on. Yeah. Especially because you yourself have noted this symbol everywhere. It's a big deal. Even if you were like, oh, I don't think it's, like, the same as this story. Okay, that's fine. But it has to to mean something. Yeah, it's got to be important in some way. Yeah. So they continue arguing as Xenophilius cooks something extremely smelly downstairs, and Harry eventually peeks upstairs into Luna's room and sees a painting that she's made with Harry, Ron, Hermione, Ginny, and Neville, and it says, like, friends all out. It was so cute. It's adorable, yeah. But then Harry notices that there is a layer of dust over the entire room, as though nobody has been there for weeks, and when he descends the stairs, he asks Xenophilius where Luna is, and he simply repeats the story of saying that she's by the stream fishing, and Harry points out... He's only set the table, like, the tray for four. It should have been five if he was expecting Luna to join. He says that he doesn't think Luna has been here for weeks, and now Xenophilius drops the tray. A bunch of quibblers fly out from the press, and it literally has Harry's picture with the undesirable number one on the cover. So apparently the ministry took Luna because of the stuff that Xenophilius has been printing, So when he had gone outside, he wasn't actually telling Luna that they were there. He was sending an owl to the ministry so, like, to hopefully turn in Harry so that he could get Luna Luna back, back, which I understand. Yeah, as a father, you do everything for your kids. Yeah, Yeah. I completely understand his reaction to this. So now there are people circling the house on brooms, and Xenophilius launches a stunning spell at them, 
which they avoid, and it instead hits the erupted horn, causing a massive explosion, which I'm sure, like, sucks, but Hermione's probably like, yeah. Told you so. Told you so. So, the house is obviously all messed up now, but I want to point out that, yet again, JK planted a little Easter egg about the Horcrux being tied to Rowena, because he, like, she specifically points out um, the bust being in the house. Yeah. Like, Harry specifically notes it, and now you're like, oh. Why was that important? Why was that an important detail? I know. It's something that Harry's probably not going to notice for a bit. <laughs> yeah, no. So the ministry people, a.k.a. Death Eaters, who arrive, um, they argue downstairs, accusing Lovegood of flying to them again. But Hominor Mavellio unfortunately gives their presence away, so Lovegood is told to go upstairs and retrieve Potter if he's really there. So the trio are able to escape the debris of the house. Hermione tells Ron to put on the cloak and grab her shoulder while Harry grabs her hand. Hermione then waits until Xenophilius appears at the stairs to obliviate him, then uses... Did she, did she obliviate him? No. What spell does she use? She, what spell did she use? I think she uses obliviate. Maybe she does. Now I don't remember. I think she uses obliviate, but for some reason when I said that, it sounded wrong. But anyways, then she uses the um, the spell of the day to blast a hole in the door in the floor, which they fall through, startling the men below before they disapparate. Yep. Which, something about this is, is Hermione, this scene alone just shows you how smart she is. Really? Because of everything that she does, like, she does it on purpose, right? Ron is under the cloak because he's supposed to be at home with Spattergroyd, so Mm -hmm. to make sure they don't see him. But she makes sure that she lets the Death Eaters see them first before disapparating so they don't kill Xenophilius for lying. Like, everything that she does is so thought out, and she thought of this in, like, a span of, like, what, 30 seconds? Like, it really... Like, Hermione's just so smart. Yeah. Like, she really... I know we've been saying this, like, how they'd be nothing without her, but, like, they really would. Mm-hmm. Like, she is... She's invaluable to them. It's crazy. So, chapter 22, the trio find themselves in a field and the sun is setting. So, again, kind of like how we just... Like I just said, they're amazed by her quick thinking, revealing herself, and making sure that Ron stays hidden. Um... But Hermione's frustrated despite the fact that they successfully escape because she still does not believe anything about the Hallows. So Ron and Harry kind of argue with her about it. They both think that the story might be true and they kind of get more proof about this through the Peveril family because Hermione's discovered that the name died out but Harry remembers that he has heard this name before because Marvolo Gaunt, who's Voldemort's grandfather, said that he was descended from the Peveril family. And then the ring that eventually became one of Voldemort's horcruxes supposedly had the Peveril coat of arms on it, which is the symbol of the Deathly Hallows. So, very interesting connections Mm -hmm. there. So, this kind of makes everything super clear to Harry. His cloak is the invisibility cloak, and the ring is what has the resurrection stone in it. He then remembers that Dumbledore had borrowed James's invisibility cloak the day that his parents were killed, so he starts thinking, like, why would he need the cloak if not to see if it was actually the one in the hallow? So he's like fully certain that he has the cloak. Dumbledore left the ring for him in the closed snitch, so the only thing left to find is the Elder Wand. So this kind of light bulb moment in Harry's head, that's what Voldemort is looking for. He's looking for the Elder Wand. It makes totally it makes a lot of total sense to Harry because Voldemort, like him, was raised by muggles without learning these fairy tales that wizard children have. Um but he could have heard of the Elder Wand um, because it's, like, as Xenophilia said, it's, like, clearly recorded. And it's really terrifying to think what he's going to do with the, quote-unquote, undefeatable wand. But I also think it's really funny that it's undefeatable because clearly it's been defeated many times. Yeah. I also like, I like, they have other names for it for different stories. I personally like Death Stick. Yeah, Death Stick is the best Death one. Death Stick is the best one. Yeah. Like, the... Elder Wand? Gross. I have a death stick. Not, this is my death stick. Actually. I feel like I would, if I had a wand, I feel like you could just call any wand that. This is a death stick. Like how you like name a sword? They should name their wands. Like yeah, that. they should. Yeah. Also, like how Harry's like, oh yeah, for sure that stone is in the snitch. He's all excited. I'm like, dude, you still don't know how to open it. Yeah. Like, you have think about zero it, clue how to open it. I open at the close. What does that mean? You don't know. You don't know. We don't know. But Hermione still doesn't believe it, and Ron's not sure, but Harry, like, is stuck on this. He's like, what if I found the Elder Wand first? Does that mean I'm the master of death? Like, blah, blah. Like, he kind of hones in on, yeah, kind of hones in on the Deathly Hallows. 
And then he also starts thinking about his scar and like the strange connection to Voldemort because apparently it's gotten weirdly blurry lately. So that's interesting. And as Harry kind of gets more distant, Ron kind of steps up. He's leading the group to various places, but no matter where they go, they don't find any more Horcruxes. And then eventually Ron brings up the radio program he was looking for earlier. Um, it's an underground, like, password-protected show called Potter Watch, um, where members of the Order of the Phoenix discuss, like, what's going on in the fight against Voldemort, and they use code names for secrecy. So he finally successfully tunes in, and it turns out that the host of Potter Watch is Lee Jordan. Um, and then his guests, based on the names, we have Romulus, which we can very, like, assume is Remus, and then Kingsley, and then Fred or maybe George. They get confused about it a bit. Um, I think the names are a little obvious, I think. I feel like I... Well, I mean, the story Romulus and Remus, I feel like... I, yeah, I just, I don't know, I feel like maybe they could have used slightly better coders, but I guess they also need to make sure that, like, the people listening know who it is, yeah. but, like, without using their names. So, never mind, I guess I kind of get it. Yeah. But still. So they're listening to this, and Lee says that there's bad news. Ted Tonks and Dirk Cresswell have been captured and killed by the Death Eaters, which, if we'll remember, we saw them earlier camping along with Dean Thomas, who managed to escape and is on the run, accompanied with one of the goblins that they were all traveling with. Mm -hmm. So that's sad. Rest in peace, uh, Tonks and Cresswell. And then um, Kingsley and Remus discuss the latest political developments, and Remus has a brief message for Harry. He says that they're all with him in spirit and that he should trust his instincts. Maybe he shouldn't trust his instincts. His instincts are kind of shit. <laughs> they do get him in trouble, but his instincts... They, okay, so he does follow his instincts, he gets into trouble, but eventually it he works right, out. Yeah. Like, they, he has to do that in order to, like, get anywhere, so I see, I see the validity in his instincts. Yeah. But maybe have Hermione there to, like, protect you. Yeah, maybe to, like, proofread his instincts first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah proofread your instincts. Um, the second message um, seems directed at their fight the last time that they met, which we'll remember that's when Harry told him to go home to Tonks and stay with them and their baby, and Ron tells him that that's exactly what he did. He did do that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so, in other news, uh, Xenophilius has been in prison, but he wasn't killed, so that's good. Hermione's plan worked. And Hagrid was also arrested, but was able to escape with the help of his giant brother, good for him and then the last guest is Fred um, and he gives like a very funny discussion on how to recognize Voldemort and where he might be and apparently there's rumors that he's abroad somewhere so Harry um, gets kind of like flustered or like bothered by the suggestion that he might be abroad because he's sure that this means that Voldemort is looking for the Elder Wand so mm -hmm. if he's looking for it all the way over there how's Harry gonna get to it um, however, in his excitement and talking about all of this, Harry forgets about the taboo on his name and he says it out loud. And just like that, with three little syllables, they are discovered, their tent is immediately surrounded by captors um, before they can actually escape. Yeah, so I'm, first of all, upset <laughs> that he did that. Yeah. Second of all, my thing is, right, if they have all their stuff right there, can't they just disapparate? Yeah. Because someone would have to grab onto them. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Okay, so I've only seen, we've only really seen the physical grabbing on when they disapparate. But I guess maybe you can do it magically and that's why they didn't do it. I mean, yeah, we can assume that to give them like the benefit of the, why didn't you just do that? But, but they definitely could have, right? Yeah, I feel like they definitely you, could have. I mean, you're going to, you're going to leave the, t you're going to lose the tent anyway. So you might as well have just taken, cut your losses and taken what you got. Yeah, I fully agree. And also, yeah, I hate that Harry did this, but... I have to give credit where credit is due. This was very smart on Voldemort's part because we all know that Harry and Dumbledore, who's now dead, were the only ones who were not afraid to call him by his name. So no. it's actually very smart the that they did this. The was very smart. Like, yeah. That was genius. So Hermione instantly points her wand at Harry's face and uses an unknown but apparently painful spell, which we later find out is a stinging jinx. Or hex. Is it a hex or jinx? That's a really good question. I think it's Hex. It's one of the two. And anyways... What even is the difference? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So the trio are dragged out of the tent, and Harry's face is now swollen and painful, as though he's, like, suffering from a severe allergic reaction. 
So Harry tells them his name is Vernon Dudley, and Ron tries to say, like, he's Stan Shunpike, but they know Stan, so they know he's lying. He tells them instead he's Barty Weasley, which is half true, which, okay, they're, uh, it's fine. I don't know. It's this life or death situation. I, you... Barty Weasley, sure. <laughs> so Hermione tells them that she's Penelope Clearwater, and the Death Eaters are obviously sus of them because they used Voldemort's name, which nobody does, and that's how they've been catching Order members. So they're tied up and put with other prisoners, one of whom is Dean, and the other is the unnamed, so far, Goblin. So they interrogate Harry a little more since his name isn't on the list and they don't recognize it, but Harry tells them he's a Slytherin, his dad works at the Ministry, and honestly he does a really good job of like making a story and sounding confident because he has been in their common room, which yeah. you wouldn't do if you weren't a Slytherin. Exactly. So unfortunately, when Greyback and the other Death Eaters search the tent, they find the sort of Gryffindor sketch, and a copy of the Daily Prophet has a picture of Hermione, and it says that she's known to be traveling with Harry Potter. Very unlucky. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> yeah. So during this whole event, Harry's also struggling to keep his composure because his scar is hurting and he's kind of flashing into Voldemort's mind. And at this point, they realize Harry has a mark on his head that could be the scar, and they find his glasses in the tent. So Greyback decides to take them directly to Voldemort at Malfoy Manor. So they arrive at Malfoy Manor, and Harry's relieved because according to his current visions, Voldemort is not there. And Greyback tells the Enchanted Gate they have Harry Potter and it lets them in, which I want this gate. Yeah. It's super cool. I think it would be really fun. Especially because you don't have to worry about people ringing you and you having to be like, who's there? It's the Amazon guy again. And you're like, all right, come on in. Yeah. Like you could just key in the Amazon guy. Yeah. So Harry lets himself see into Voldemort's mind as they walk and Voldemort has entered this like cell, this jail cell, and is talking to an old skeletal man who says he knew Voldemort would come, but that his journey was pointless because he never had, quote, it. So then we flash back to Harry's present, which when they arrive at the door to the manor, Narcissa is the one that lets them in very hesitantly, um, but Fenrir asserts that the swollen mess of a boy is Harry Potter. And she's like, okay, well then we'll take him to Draco to confirm his identity. So they make Draco examine Harry and the others, but Draco just keeps being like, I don't know, maybe, and is super non-committal. Even when they ask about Hermione and Ron, which is odd because he definitely, definitely knows that it's Harry and, like, or Hermione and Ron. Like, Harry, he might not, he does, but he, <laughs> he might not have because of, you know, the messed up face and everything. But here is where we were talking about JK really, like, started this idea mm-hmm. of a redemption arc for Draco, but we'll see that it wasn't properly developed over the rest of the book, but yeah. it really should have been. Yeah, she does not develop it the way that she should have. I think this is this is like a key point in it because he's not he's indirectly lying to the Dark Lord. Yeah. Which is a bold move, especially because mm-hmm. we know he's really good at legitimacy and stuff. So it's it's bold of him to outwardly be like, I don't know, I don't know, when we know for a fact he knows he Hermione know. and Ron at the very least. So it's yeah. like this would have been such a good moment for him. And it, yeah, it's just really annoying. Yeah. So now Bellatrix shows up and decides to summon the Dark Lord, but Lucius stops her wanting to do it himself. But then Bellatrix stops him and says if they summon him, they'll all perish. Really dramatic. Then she, like, stuns all the Snatchers and grabs the Sword of Gryffindor, demanding to know where they got it, since Snape sent it to her vault at Gringotts. So Bellatrix tells them they have to figure out, like, this, like, mystery before summoning Voldemort and tells Greyback to take the prisoner to the cellar, but to leave the mudblood. This is all very intriguing, over yeah. a sword. I don't know, why does she care so much? Yeah. So in the cellar, Luna and Ollivander help untie them using a nail, and Dean and Griphook are untied as well. So now we know the goblin is Griphook, and Luna and Ollivander, we found them. There Yay. they are. The cellars of Malfoy. Imagine your house having a cellar. A That's cellar. crazy. That's where we keep the wine. <laughs> so in the cellar, they can hear Bellatrix yelling at Hermione for information about the sword in the vault. Hermione tells her they just found it in between, like, screams of pain. So Hermione's screams are sending Harry and Ron into, like, fight-or-flight mode. They're desperately looking for a way out as Bellatrix uses Crucio on her. Ron is half-sobbing, trying to get out and get to her. And Harry tries to use, like, everything that he's got. He pulls out the snitch, he pulls out his broken wand, even tells, like, the magic mirror fragment that he has from Sirius, like, where they are, but nothing seems to work. Hermione ends up telling Bellatrix now that the sword is a fake, and they send Griphook to... Or they send, um... Pettigrew, Peter, to the cellar to get Griphook so that he can identify it because it is goblin-made, so yes, Griphook would know if it's know. a fake. So Harry tells Griphook to lie and tell them it's a fake because he obviously knows it's real. 
So right after Draco le- leaves with Griphook... Oh, so they send Draco. Yeah, Why? Draco. I'm, like, all over the place. <laughs> it's okay. Peter comes, Peter in, comes in later. So yeah. Draco gets Griphook, and then Dobby apparates into the cellar. And Dobby takes Luna, Ollivander, and Dean to Bill and Floor's place first. But the sound of him disapparating alerts the people upstairs, and now they send Wormtail to check on them. But when he enters the cellar, they tackle him and take his wand. That was too easy, guys. It really was. They... They're honestly really lucky. Like, obviously they're unlucky because all this stuff is happening, but they do get out of everything, like, Mm -hmm. really luckily. So Wormtail manages to get a hand around Harry's throat in, like, this, like, struggle. But when Harry reminds him about how he saved his life, he kind of just, like, the hand just lets go, which everybody is very shocked by. But then the arm just turns around and starts choking Peter and literally chokes him to death. Yep. His own hand. So they go upstairs in time to um, to hear Griphook tell them the sword is a fake. So Bellatrix is like, "All right," pulls up her sleeve and summons Dumbledore or Voldemort, which Harry realizes he is not happy about yeah. because he kills this prisoner that he's been talking to, and begins hit, like heading to Al Malfoy Manor angrily. He's like, "If they summon me for no reason, I'm gonna be so mad." <laughs> so Ron. Um, then, like, jumps out to save Hermione, but they come to a standstill when Bellatrix holds a knife to Hermione's throat, and then Dobby comes in. He drops the chandelier on them, allowing Ron to run over and grab Hermione while Dobby disarms Narcissa. Slay Dobby. Dobby's eating the sup. Good for him. So Harry tosses Ron one of the wands so that he can disapparate, and Harry goes with Dobby, Griphook, and the sword to build the floors. But as they're disapparating, he sees Bellatrix's knife flying toward the spot that they are vanishing from. And then when they arrive to the cottage, Harry sees Bellatrix's knife protruding from a dark red stain in Dobby's clothes. And Harry holds him, pleading as Dobby takes his final breaths. Very sad. Yeah. It's yeah. very sad. Yeah. Um, so. Two things that I just, like, wanted to note in this was, A, the first thing which is gross, which is the reason that Ron stands up to defend Hermione is because Bellatrix tells Greyback that he can have her as a reward. Which I was like, that's disgusting. And I hate that. And then the second one was... It should be noted that he they mean to eat. Yeah. Yes, he's going to eat her. He's going to eat her. He he likes cannibalism. Like, he's going to literally eat her. Yep. And then, also, like, the next thing that was just slightly important to note for later is that Harry, as Ron is pulling Hermione out, Harry is able to take Draco's wand, along with Bellatrix and Wormtails. And he stuns Greyback with all three... Which brought up a point to me. If you have three wands and shoot out a spell, it goes out of all three wands. That's crazy. Would be like a super powerful spell. So like, yeah, like I thought it would just if be I like just... one mega. It's like three sets. So if you like have three wands, like put them in between you your fingers, Wolverine. like Wolverine, <laughs> and you go, Avada Kedavra, you just can kill three people at once. <laughs> that is what I'm accepting as canon. Okay, perfect. We all, we're Wolverine-ing the wands. Yeah, we're gonna add it to like. There's, like, an almanac now for Harry Potter stuff. We're going to add the Wolverine to, like, that as, like, an official piece of canon. Yeah, I like that. I think it's perfect. Okay, back to sad stuff. Um, Chapter 24, Harry is in shock, um, and he's very upset. He has this feeling like he's back at Hogwarts, kneeling beside Dumbledore's dead body, so this is just a lot for him. Bill, Floor, Dean, and Luna come out. Everyone is safe, including Ron and Hermione, except, obviously, for Dobby. Um, and Harry says that he wants to bury Dobby himself properly without magically digging the grave. And so Bill is like, yep, got you, that makes sense. And he gets, like, three shovels. Why does he have shovels if they don't dig the mug away? <laughs> and why does he have three? Maybe he conjured them. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. Because I was like, why does why he even he have, have shovels? Them? Yeah. He just likes to dig for fun. Just for funsies. No, I think he just conjured them. Okay, that makes more sense, yes, let's go with that. So he's digging, um, he finally feels um, like he's mastered the, you know, pain in his scar and is finally able to just shut Voldemort out, just like Dumbledore always wanted to. And as he digs, he's kind of going over what happened that night, Voldemort murdering Grigorovich, which he did before coming to Malfoy Manor, and then Wormtail's unwilling suicide. He didn't murder Grigorovich in that. Not Grigorovich, um... Grindelwald. Yeah, Grindelwald. Yeah. Sorry, wrong, wrong he ki- name. He killed Grigorovich, um, presumably earlier. Yeah. Uh, when he was trying to get information out of him. Yes. So you're right. Sorry, wrong G name. 
But yeah, and then Wormtail's unwilling suicide. That counts as a suicide, right? Yeah, I don't know. Right? It's like, the, so he says the hand killed him because he showed mercy. Because yeah. it was the hand that the Dark Lord had given him. Which he jinxed after to... After he cut it off. Yeah. But he jinxed it. So apparently he, show, he showed mercy, so he shall die by his own hand. Yeah. Which makes you think about, you know, the whole thing about life debts in Harry Potter mm-hmm. and how Dumbledore mentioned in... The third book that Peter now owes Harry a life debt because he saved his life. So it makes you think, like, in this, was it Wormtail actually hesitating because he felt bad? Or was that, like, invoking this life debt that was like, oh, shit, yeah, you're right. No, I think it was invoking the life debt. Yeah, it was? Okay, that's what I thought, too. Because when he mentions it, that's why I had made the point that they all seemed surprised that he let go. Like... Oh, even, like, even Wormtail Even Wormtail was was surprised that he let go. And I think that it's because that whatever magic is imbued in this life debt that that kind of, like, evoked in that okay. moment. Okay, yeah, you're right. I missed that part, but yes, exactly. Which is crazy. I think that's so interesting to me. Yeah. Um, but Ron and Dean help Harry dig, and then afterwards they all say goodbye to Dobby, and Luna's the one who steps up to take care of things, addressing him and thanking him for saving her and everyone else. They mm-hmm. all offer Dobby a thanks, and Harry kind of lingers outside, finds a smooth white stone that he places there, and then magically engraves, here lies Dobby, a free elf. So now mind you, you know, as I'm reading the end of the last chapter, you know, the the death, him pleading, Dobby taking his last breaths, and like saying, Harry, tears in my eyes, but not, not falling. Now, when Dean and Ron join him at the grave, Ron takes off his own shoes to give to Dobby, and then Dean gives him a little hat, and that is when I just lost it. <laughs> I was literally sitting there crying as I was reading. I was like, oh my god, he just gave me the shoes. It was too much for my heart. That's very valid. I personally didn't cry. Um, oh, yeah, well. But it, it was very sad. I, I, I agree it was sad. I just didn't cry. Yeah. But I get it. No, I, get I did it. cry a little bit. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Feel your emotions. Yeah. So they go back inside and they're all talking through things. Bill is kind of updating them that the Death Eaters know that Ron is traveling with Harry, so now all of the Weasleys are targets. And Bill is moving to them to their Auntie Muriel's house that's protected under Fidelius. And then once Mr. Ollivander and Griphook are able to like recover, they'll also be moved there. Yeah. Now, this part really brings up an interesting conversation because who is the secret keeper of Bill and Floor's cottage? Oh, I think... Actually, I think it's Bill and Floor themselves. That's crazy. I think it is Bill. Mm-hmm. That's so freaking crazy. So you can be the secret keeper, keeper to your, to own, your house. own house. So James could have been the secret keeper to his own house. So could have Lily. So could And while we're at it, so could have Harry. And he's a baby, so who's he going to tell? He was the best person to put. Well, they, he wouldn't have been able to tell James and Lily, so they wouldn't have been able to get in. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> It was a good idea. It was a good... I like the I like the theory. They just hold his hand and make him right, and they're like, that's good enough. They use legitimacy. They're like, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, never mind about that. But yeah, really cuts a hole in really why they decided here. to make Wormtail their secret keeper. It makes zero sense when it could have just been James. Yeah, especially when they know that, you know, there is a spy in the order. Yeah. I understand that, you know, James trusted all his friends, and that was inevitably his downfall. But, like... I don't know. Like, I still think, even if you, you you don't think it's any of your friends, it is better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. Big plot hole here, JKR. Yeah. But before they're all able to move, Harry says that he needs to talk to both of them, Ollivander and Griphook. So Harry goes to wash his hands. He's still thinking about the events, and especially because when he yelled into the mirror, like, where they were, he remembers seeing a blue eye again. So he's still thinking, like, this is whoever sent Dobby. Who is it? Um, He starts thinking about Dumbledore, who knew so much. You know, he knew to give Ron the Deluminator, and he knew that Wormtail would help Harry someday when he mentioned the life debt. So it's like, what did he know about Harry himself that he didn't tell him? So a lot of things going on in his mind right now. Harry, Ron, and Hermione go to talk to Griphook first, um, but before they can get down to business, he kind of starts talking about Harry's unusual qualities. He just, Griphook is just weird in general. He gives me weird vibes a bit. Yeah, but I think what Griphook is struggling with here is that Harry is so different from what wand users are normally like. Like, he's very, Harry shows respect towards other creatures. Like other creatures other than wizards and I feel like that is like Griphook's inner I guess 
this inner conflict of he... Harry obviously wants something from Griphook. Yeah. So this kind of inner conflict of, like, how do I view him? That's true. That's a really good point. So Harry ends up telling them that he needs to break into the stranger's Gringotts vault, and he needs Griphook's help to do that. Um, He swears that it isn't for anything, like, personal gain, and Griphook, like, tentatively believes him about it. Um, And then, yeah, there's kind of, you know, they... The same thing that you just said about the wand carriers and that stuff that's going on between them. So, Griphook doesn't give them an answer and instead says that he needs to sleep. So, Harry takes the sort of Gryffindor with him when they leave. Um, and Harry's, like, pretty certain that there's a Horcrux hidden in the Lestrange's Gringotts Fall. And he thinks that Voldemort, who is an outsider, would want to keep his treasures there, like, in the heart of the wizarding world. And that it makes sense that he would trust the Lestrange's above anyone else. And Spelljack mm-hmm. is kind of, like, his right hand. And because she was so freaked out about the... Th- thought that they were in there there must be and something what else important took. Yeah. yeah exactly so Which, this is actually good really good him. thinking he yeah. actually did some deductive like at, we've been making fun of him this was yeah this was he actually connected the dots that was a good time. plan yeah so after that they go see Ollivander and he's kind of like a mess you know he was imprisoned and tortured there for more than a year so that's kind of rough for him we kind of are now connecting the pieces that he was the prisoner from the beginning of the book that Wormtail took away, so this poor man has been through it. Mm -hmm. So he, the first thing that he asks him is if his wand could possibly be repaired, and it can. Boo! (laughs) He screwed us. (laughs) It would have been so great if Ollivander was like, hell yeah, dude, let me just... I got it. No, unfortunately not. He's like, dang, that sucks. Yeah. So next order of business, he asks if he could please identify the two wands that they stole from Malfoy Manor. And this is where we get confirmation that one of them was Bellatrix's and one of them was Draco's. But he specifically says that it was Draco's. So that's like um, an interesting thing. And he's like, depending on how it was taken from him, there's a chance that the wand might have changed its allegiance. So since Harry took the wand by force from him, the wand is now obedient to Harry, and the same goes for Ron, who took Peter's wand. So Harry asks if all wands work the same way, like, for example, what about the legends of wands that have apparently passed by from wizard to wizard by murder? And Ollivander kind of knows that Harry's onto him at this point, like, he's, like, you know, sleuthing first information, and he admits that he did tell Voldemort about the twin cores of their two original wands, but he doesn't understand why the Holly and Phoenix wand, that is Harry's, managed to snap Voldemort's borrowed wand. So Harry finally confronts him about the Elder Wand, he tells him that he knows Voldemort is after it, and he wants to know what he knows. So, Voldemort doesn't only want the Elder Wand to defeat Harry, according to Ollivander. He wants it to, simply put, take over the world. So, he's certain that the Elder Wand um, really does exist, and he's the one who told Voldemort that Grigorovich might have had it um, while he was being tortured. So, obviously, he kind of had to give in, which I get it, Mm -hmm. you know? So, Harry, Ron, and Hermione thank him, and they leave him to go alone, and then they reevaluate. So, this is kind of like what's going on. Grigorovich had the Elder Wand a long time ago, but it was stolen by young Grindelwald. And as Harry's talking through this, he can kind of see Voldemort in his mind at the gates of Hogwarts. Which, shit. (laughs) That's not good. Mm -hmm. So, Harry continues that Grindelwald used the Elder Wand to gain power, but Dumbledore conquered him in their great duel and took the Elder Wand. So, Harry struggles to stay with Ron and Hermione and not give in to his vision. And he tells them that it's at Hogwarts, but it's too late because Voldemort is already there. So Harry desperately like tells Ron that Dumbledore didn't want him to have the wand. He wanted Harry to find the Horcruxes instead. And he kind of just succumbs to his vision and finally just fully gives in. So now we're seeing through Voldemort's eyes and we see as he's walking through the Hogwarts grounds with Snape, but then he goes off by himself, magically hidden to do something in private. And he ends up approaching the white tomb of Dumbledore. He opens it, kind of looks at Dumbledore's corpse for a moment, and then takes the Elder Wand. Yeah. Luckily, it's preserved magically, in case you're wondering, so it it's still not looks normal. Yeah. It's not gross. Thank God. So. But that is the end of this segment that we're covering. And Nice little cliffhanger for you. Quite the cliff. So, Yeah. Lots going on. Now is like when it's going to pick up. Because we talked about this. The beginning of this book really is 
them not doing a whole lot except for moving around and trying to figure out what it is they actually know what's going on. And now, you know, they've destroyed the locket. They Three Horcruxes down. They have the um, the sword. Now they know, like, where they're trying to go to. They know about the Deathly Hallows. So they have goals. They have an awareness of the fact that now Voldemort has the Elder Wand. Or the Death Stick. Much better name. Yeah. Yeah, I fully agree. Yeah, the first half, which this is actually, like, a little more than half of the book. Um, yeah, but now like, that we've ended this section, we really only have a third of it left, really. Yeah. So, yeah, this is quite a bit, a bit more than half, but this is the f- half of the first movie, which is why the first movie for me is always, like, not one of my favorites, because it's just this. It's just them mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. It's camping. So it's like, yeah, the first half of the book is the same to me. It's kind of like, okay, you none of you know what you're doing. Can we get it? But now, yeah, now it's going to get exciting. Also sad, because yeah, it's going to be a war, you know. Yeah. But I am so excited to get to it. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode with the jokes. Woo! So... You can go ahead. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what dark wizard makes the best pancakes? Uh, who? Tom Griddle. <laughs> and it's nice fitting one. because we ate pancakes this morning. Yes, so. we did. <laughs> oh, that's good. I was trying to think like Voldemort, Grindelwald, but some, Tom Griddle. One of you likes pancakes <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> the other one is a waffle guy. Yeah. Okay. Ready? Okay. How did nearly headless Nick tell Peeves it was safe to roam Hogwarts? How? The ghost is clear. Okay, that's cute. So a little double Aww. joke in the there. The ghost is clear. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, that is all that we have for you this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next episode is actually switching it up. We are talking about Voldemort, so make sure you tune in for that. And make sure you guys also follow us online. Our Twitter is at SlytherclawRev. Our Instagram is at SlytherclawReview. And of course, we have our website. Make sure you guys leave a rating, comment, or review. And tell your friends if you enjoyed this podcast. This helps us immensely, and we appreciate it so much. Until next time!